As La Perouse sailed past the Pacific Northwest in the autumn of 1786, enveloped in fog, he missed a chance encounter with the one John Mears. Mears, a merchant fur trader with inadequate paperwork in Cook's Wake, had sailed from Calcutta to Nootka Sound on the western side of today's Vancouver Island. He wrote, quote, We kept running during the night under a press of sail directly in for the American coast. The whole atmosphere was in a state of illumination, which we attributed to the reflection of vast mountains of snow on the continent. Nor were we mistaken, for on the morning of the 11th of May, the long-wished-for land of America appeared, bearing east by south, at a distance of 13 leagues. It consisted of a ridge of mountains whose summits were hid in the clouds. End quote. He anchored off of Friendly Harbor, so named by Cook in 1778, and set up camp next to the village of Uquat, where he would soon berth an international incident. Welcome to Expeditions, a podcast around Lewis and Clark. We explore the history and historiography of the expedition, one day at a time. We are everywhere at Expeditions Pod, social media, Patreon if you want to support the show, as well as our website. You are currently in Mile Marker 2, episode Swirl of Nations. But first, he would need to wait out the winter, and Mears' men were dying. In the area, George Dixon of the Queen Charlotte and Nathaniel Portlock of the King George had begun hearing about Nootka, but didn't really understand that it was the name of Mears' ship and that his men were in trouble. By May, they had sailed into the Sound and aided those that were still alive. And as they came back to health, the two provided Mears with some supplies, as well as two men, and asked him to leave Nootka Sound for good. This alone would be the point of drama for years to come, as all these men wrote future accounts of the trade, a pamphlet of war, as Dixon called his accounts. And while sympathetic to the plight of the men, Dixon noted that Mears had, quote, hurtful excesses amongst his people, end quote. As Richard Noakes points out, quote, during the early coast trade era, most captains chose to sail their ships to the Sandwich Islands rather than risk a winter on the northwest coast. So Mears might be excused on the basis of ignorance, for the resulting tragedy to his crew, which ended in the death of half of them. End quote. Either way, Mears left on June 22, 1787, and never came back. Until the following year. But this time, he was under a Portuguese flag, and accompanied by a friend, William Douglas. The pair had left China in January 1788, as La Perouse was meeting Phillips in the first fleet in Australia, and arrived at Nootka that May to trade for furs throughout the summer. Here, Mears would claim to buy land from Maquina, leader of the Nukanut, who will actually meet again during the John Jewett saga when we return to the coast later. He would also craft what is considered the first non-indigenous vessel in the Pacific Northwest, the Northwest America. And as our tale comes to an end with Ledyard and La Perouse, Mears, by 1789, had formed corporations toward the dream that Ledyard had of settling the fur coast of America. However, this success coincided with Russian activity off of Alaska, and Jose Esteban Martinez was tasked by the Spanish government with occupying Nootka 
and staking a land claim in the hopes of settling Spanish territory above the Strait de Juan de Fuca. And instead of Russians, Martinez found William Douglas, who he promptly arrested, as well as two American ships, the Columbia Redeviva, captained by John Kendrick, and the Lady Washington, captained by Robert Gray. And as the summer went by, ships associated with mirrors were seized as violations of Spanish trading rights, including the Northwest America that was commandeered by the Spanish. And upon hearing of these seizures back in China, Mir sailed for England, arriving in April 1790, where he told the Home Secretary of this injustice, and the House of Commons ordered the Navy to prepare for hostilities. After briefly leaving Nootka, just after it was occupied, Francisco de Eliza returned in 1790, just as Mears was stirring up in London, as well as finishing his account of his travels, namely his contention that he had bought much more land than he did, if he had bought it any at all. Alessandro Malaspina, on his circumnavigation of the globe, stopped at Nootka in 1791 and gained the rapport of Maquina, who had previously fled the area after his son, Calicom, was killed either by Martinez or a soldier who either misinterpreted a warning shot or fired to make up for Martinez's miss. After Malaspina left, Juan Francisco de la Bodega y Cuadra was sent there to parley with George Vancouver, veteran of Cook's final voyage, who in August of 1792 was a year into his own four-year voyage of the Pacific. During his residency in Nootka, Cuadra would meet with everybody who passed, and Vancouver was no exception. David McAndrew is excellent here, quote, The common interpretation is that Vancouver was sent to finish the survey and make up for the deficiencies the fatigued and lessened explorer that was the latter-day cook left uninvestigated. In fact, Vancouver was sent to find a western analog to Hudson Bay, the old cartographic concept that was particularly popular in France. The thinking was that the North American Mediterranean Ocean could facilitate a communication with the lakes of Canada or Hudson Bay, creating a de facto passage dominated by British fur trading interests, end quote. Gee, does that sound familiar? If he wanted to smooth over any rights to the area, not much came from what is known today as the Nootka Conventions. Essentially, the idea of sovereignty was placed on hold as they agreed to let each other trade in the area but not erect permanent buildings, though those that were previously built by Britain, like John Mears, should be returned along with compensation for any boats that were seized, although the compensation to Mears was still disputed. The only piece from the convention that stuck was the name of the island, sort of. The two proposed to name the island Quadras and Vancouver's Island, though sadly Quadras' name would disappear, along with Spanish claims. Of course, this island was more of a stand-in, basically, for the existential dread that each country was feeling and would feel as the decade continued. Spain wanted their land claims at the Strait de Juan de Fuca, while Britain felt that it should end around San Francisco. In the end, unwittingly, a guest of Quadras, before Vancouver arrived, Robert Gray, would ensure that the area between the Strait and down to California and beyond would become American. Vancouver passed Gray in late April 1792, Gray had wintered at the stockade, he'll call Fort Defiance, not to be confused with the fort on the Auglaise that William Clark would help direct in 1794, but that's a story for another time. Gray would fall out with the locals and he would destroy the village of Opisat, 
200 homes, fine village, a work of ages, according to the Journal of John Boyd, fifth mate with Gray. This started a bad precedent for him as he'd attack and kill seven others on his way off the island. Survivors would beg Quandra to punish Gray, and spoiler alert, once he breaks past the Columbia Bar at Gray's Harbor a few miles in, he would fire on the Chinook, killing 20. But we aren't even done yet. Once he returned, he killed 25 approaching the ship on a war canoe, likely out of revenge against him for what it's worth. Vancouver doubted Gray's contention that there was a river, namely due to the low latitudes and the belief that a passage, even a maligned one like the Northwest Passage, would be a lot higher. Though in 1775, Quadra's partner at the time, Bruno de Hasita, as I learned in Oregon, or Hecata for the Alaskans, or Hecate for the Buffy the Vampire Slayer fans, also noticed a slight discoloration that Gray noticed between Cape San Roque and Frondoso, that is, Cape Disappointment and Adams today. Quote, Having arrived opposite this bay at six in the evening and placed the ship midway between the two capes, I sounded and found bottom in 24 brazas, that is 23 fathoms. The currents and eddies are so strong that, notwithstanding a press of sail, it is difficult to get clear of the northern cape, towards which the current ran, though its direction was eastward, in consequence of the tide being at flood. These currents and eddies of water cause me to believe that this place is the mouth of some great river or some passage to another sea, end quote. A decade and a half later, Gray, of course, broke through this dangerous bar and named the river after his boat, the Columbia. After nine days, Gray and Joseph Ingraham of the Hope returned to Nootka before Vancouver. Quadra asked to give a statement on Mears and Martinez and anything else from that fateful year, 1789. Gray, signing off on Ingraham's statement, disputed Mears's purchase, his house was but a rough hut. The arrest of James Colnett, of which Spain would have to pay compensation, was actually justified as Colnett had drawn his sword. Quandra used this to fight the conventions, as we know, but to this day it's unclear really who's right. Gray and Ingraham were cordial on the sea, but they were not friends of Britain, and Spain had helped the United States win the war. And though it's unclear if Gray ever actually served, Ingraham, who wrote the statement, served on the protector, and was actually imprisoned by the British aboard the infamous HMS Jersey. If he knew William Clark's older brother, John Jr., whose life, like many, will be cut short surviving that hellhole, we'll never know. While these revelations perhaps allowed Quandra to stall, it would actually be Vancouver crediting to Gray, who never produced a written account of his explorations, that would give the United States the claim to the Oregon Territory that Lewis and Clark would further embolden for those who care about those kind of things. Today's interconnected world has many places one could describe as a swirl of nations, but Nootka certainly fit the bill. Far as it was outside the typical purview of European interactions within North America, with themselves as well as with native peoples. That it attracted European nations feels obvious, as John Ledyard wasn't the only person proselytizing the Pacific fur trade. That Britain and France wanted to recreate its colonial empire on the west coast of North America makes sense, after all that had been lost. That Spain wished to keep building on a string of missions from San Francisco through and to and across the Strait de Juan de Fuca, if not into Alaska, tracks from what we'll learn tomorrow. But they'd run out of time 
Same with Russia. Even though they'd make it down to California, Robert Gray was a portent of things to come. And it didn't matter that Captain William Broughton also broke the bar into Bullfinch Harbor, renamed by Vancouver to Gray's Harbor. Sensing that Gray didn't lead the saltwater estuary incorrectly, he and his men sailed up the river to the Multnomah Mouth near today's Portland and the beginnings of the Columbia River Gorge, naming Mount St. Helens and Mount Hood to go along with the other veterans of the Vancouver expedition that Washingtonians and Oregonians will recognize. Puget Sound, Mount Baker, Whidbey Island, Young's River, Young's Bay, even Broughton Beach on the Oregon side of the Columbia. Well, not everything. The doctrine of discovery is a powerful drug. Under the moonlight on October 30th, 1792, like Michael Scott declaring bankruptcy, Broughton claimed the entire watershed for Britain. Though the high doesn't last forever, that Spain relinquished even one inch on Nukta 300 years after Pope Alexander VI drew a demarcation line that gifted Spain with half the world was the first step in the end of the Spanish Empire. If only Vancouver hadn't missed Alexander Mackenzie shooting the Bellacoola River into the sea by 48 days. Mackenzie beat Lewis and Clark's transcontinental crossing by over a decade. And while he knew that the Bellacoola wasn't the river of the West, he'd have recognized the Columbia for what it was and would have told Vancouver to leave Gray's name out of the narrative, man. Claim it for Britain, like Broughton did, before it's too late.